Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge, listening to Mornings with Carmen. Ah, you think you know it all. Have you ever been called a know-it-all? <clears throat> yeah, I, I was rebuked. Actually, with some frequency. Um, I mean, as I think back, I was rebuked as a know-it-all uh, fairly early in life. Like fifth grade is the first time I remember the accusation. But it didn't stick until... Uh, a woman named Carrie Greist, like, speared me, skewered me with the know-it-all rebuke. So, <clears throat> uh, you think you know it all. That's what she said. So, I remember the look in her eyes when she said it. Uh, it was a turning point for me. I was 25. She was right, by the way. Um, I did, at that point in my life, think I pretty much knew it all. Or at least I thought I knew more and I knew better than nearly everyone else. I was arrogant. And although the things that I was saying were all true, like, you know, like dog, dogmatically true, um, they, were all, they were all true. They were not spoken in love because in order to speak in love means to speak to a person with an understanding of them. Like to love means you see someone, you're seeking to understand that person. To love is to know and be known. And so I was not speaking truth in love to her in that moment because I didn't know her. I didn't. Um, I, I, I wasn't demonstrating that I cared about the things that was causing her pain. Um, I was speaking truth, but I wasn't speaking it in love because I wasn't actually loving her. I wasn't being particularly patient, uh, nor particularly um, kind. Uh, so if you're speaking, but you're not speaking, and you're speaking truth, but you're not speaking truth in the spirit of Christ, man, the Holy Spirit will come and get you. Um, and that's what happened to me. And he used Carrie Christ to say it right out loud. Um, you think you know it all. And so um, this is, you know, 30 years ago now, um, Carrie had not been to a proper dentist in her whole life. She was probably about 50, but she looked more like 80. She lived in the same house and slept in the same bed that her husband George had been born in. Um, she feared God. They had a, si a sign by the road at the, at the end of their driveway that said no Sunday sales. They, they lived on a farm and they sold you know, farm-related things, but no Sunday sales. I do not recall what I had been saying to Carrie when she rebuked me. I just don't. I don't, I don't know what, I don't even remember the subject matter at all. I do remember the, re, the, the rebuke. You think you know it all. 
And I mean, I can tell you right now what that small faded flower pattern on her apron looked like. I can tell you right now the concern that she had for George. But I don't remember knowing until that day that he'd been a World War II veteran. Um, I don't remember knowing until that day that they had no children because George was simply afraid of the future. I don't remember knowing until that day the story behind why she didn't drive, nor why she slept with a shotgun next to her at night. I knew a lot. I had a fancy graduate degree from a, you know, fancy prestigious institution of higher learning. I knew a lot. But I didn't know her. I didn't know her story, her history, her fears. I didn't know her. And how can you truly love someone or communicate the love of God to someone if you don't even know them? So I had been to the Grice farm dozens of times at that point. Um, But that day was the first time I remember accepting her invitation to sit in a rocker on her front porch. It's the first time I remember listening more than I spoke. It's the first time I remember her smiling at me when I left. It was on that day that Carrie told me she felt invisible at church, but seen by God when she was in the garden. That she didn't like to sing at church but that she hummed and sang all the time that she was peeling potatoes and tending to the animals. She told me she, she felt shame at church, but no shame at home. She loved George with a depth of love that I have rarely seen since. It was Carrie Greist who gave me a, vis- a vision for marriage that I had not to that point ever witnessed. The life they lived in secret was rich and full and simple and reverent. I'm telling you about Carrie Grice today because when I um, spent that afternoon with her, I, I thought I knew it all. I certainly thought I knew a lot more than her. But God saw my pride and used her simplicity to bring a good and cleansing fire of rebuke. Carrie's the first person who taught me about the role of fasting, or at least the role it played in her spiritual life. Carrie fasted for peace. She fasted for neighbors in need. She fasted for George. She fasted for the people listed on the prayer column of our Sunday church bulletin. She prayed for people in places that she had never heard of during the nightly news. I think it was Carrie Greist who taught me how to pray the news, which is what I talk with you about every day. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day makes me remember Carrie Greist. She knew God well enough to call me out as a know-it-all. God is actually the one who sees it all and knows it all, and he rewards what is done in secret. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Our friend Jeff Bilbro is going to join us next. We are going to talk about saving St. Louis one block at a time. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Hey, our friend Jeff Bilbro is back. You can find him at jeffbilbro.com. You can also find him at frontporchrepublic.com. That's where we are going to dip from today. Uh, Jeff's piece or his his aggregated list is called The Water Dipper. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. All right, you um you have um you have something exciting in your possession that you are looking forward to sharing with other people. What is it? Wow, now I don't know what you're what you're yes, referring yes. to. I'm excited. It says local culture on the front. Oh yes, I have uh, <laughs> issues of their fall uh, copies of our fall issue that I'm taking to our conference um, in Madison, Wisconsin this weekend to, to pass out, and uh, subscribers are going to get their copies in the mail next week or so. So it's how fun is like that? It's great. It's I think people like having a magazine that only exists in print. Yeah, and and it's and there's only a couple of them a year. Like it's not overwhelming. Yeah. It's not something that yeah. shows up every week. Yeah, I don't. I feel overwhelmed by the magazines that come every week. I'm like, I that's too yeah. much. But you, you know, but really nice ones that come a couple of times a year. Yeah, I do look forward to that. So hey, if you guys want to check that out, you can go to frontporchrepublic.com. There is actually like a print a print edition available right now. Yeah. Um, talk with us about saving St. Louis one block at a time. What a great story. Yeah, I really appreciate Rachel Ferguson's work and her approach. Um, she's done a lot of good work on um, the kind of long-term effects of some policies intended to help communities, but actually, um, actually end up damaging them. And one of the things she's involved in is this uh, block revitalization ongoing project in St. Louis, where she lives, that um, tries to help low-income, you know, often minority communities, um, and not just offer them a sort of quick fix or checks in the mail, but moves in. You know, people move in, they they fix up houses, they try to bring jobs to that block so that people, you know, it's not like trying to get people out of there, get them a car so they can go somewhere else, but bring the job right there, bring the community. Um, it's It involves the church, it involves a lot of hard work. You know, she talks about how it's slow. Um, it's not, uh, flashy, but it can bring really lasting transformation in people's lives and, and hopefully, uh, you know, the broader community so that the, the kind of generational, um, uh, poverty that has been the norm in those places gets reversed. Yeah. Statistics are one thing, like public efforts are one thing. Um, but public assistance is just so different than a neighbor um, walking with you. I like this, you know, uh, public assistance can't walk with you when you finally landed a job, but your manager is infuriating. Public assistance can, um, uh, can say no to you, um, you know, and, and yet that doesn't like, there's no way that public assistance can, can hold your hand and walk with you as you learn to take baby steps in the direction of um, health and self-sufficiency and putting one foot in front of the other day after day after day after day after day. Like, right. It's just, um, so I like this, the system can register you, send you a check, even create a jobs training mechanism. Um, but it can't know you and it can't love you. This, um, this connection between being known and being loved. I, um, 
I'm reminded of this, Jeff, just just when I think about the way God has convicted me and rebuked me when I have I've spoken truth like, right, sometimes you to tell them the truth, you're telling the truth. And then you realize you're telling the truth to somebody that does not feel seen and does not feel loved. And that means I'm not speaking the truth in love because I'm not loving them in that moment. I'm not I'm not seeing how this is landing on them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the same thing happens in the poverty alleviation sphere. You know, that she quotes one of the guys who who works on the Freedom and Virtue Institute who says, I don't care about your poverty, I care about you. Mm. And I think it's that perspective. Instead of just going in with all the programs or all the here's what we know that will fix this problem. Um, what if we led with uh we need to get to know you, we want to care about you, we want to be your neighbor first. And um and let the sort of quantifiable fixes come come second. Love love first, neighbor first. These are all good yeah. uh, good words for yeah. us. Hey, I want to talk with you um, about co-housing. It's a piece um, at frontporchrepublic.com, and it's an invitation for conservatives to take another look at co-housing. All right, we're not talking about cohabitation in the way that you're thinking <laughs> right now if you're listening So we'll be right back in just a moment. We're talking with Jeff Bilbro. There's a piece posted at Front Porch Republic on co-housing. What is that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Co-housing. Let's just think for a moment about who you lived with, who you have lived with over time, who lives in community with you now. Jeff Bilbro, what is co-housing? Yeah, as your uh, teaser indicated, uh, David talks about how maybe this term is not ideal uh, because it's not about sharing property. It's not about, uh, you know, sharing spouses. It's not not cohabitating or anything. But what if, um, you know, we tried to build neighborhoods and lived among people that we actually wanted to be in community with and, and were intentional in that regard? So he talks about the kind of history of co-housing and especially Denmark, uh, but also in America, and how it's often been more associated with hippies or uh, yeah, kind of progressives, but there's nothing inherently progressive about it. And uh, in many ways, it's just a recovery of how neighborhoods used to be. Um, so he, he has, I think, some good uh, sort of practical, but also maybe philosophical arguments for how we might go about um, forming and establishing uh more uh, neighborhoods where people actually shared uh, tools, shared 
common spaces, shared meals, and uh, were involved in one another's lives. So I remember um, Andy Crouch talking about, I don't know, was it living in community? Um, it, so he he li- he has lived in like intentional that's right community with other people yeah. and and done so in a way that's just like right all up in your business i mean in terms yeah. of like if you're going to make a financial decision like everybody in the community got to be in on it yeah I, he has talked about that and i think um you know a lot of people experiment with those things when they're maybe younger right out of college they're single <laughs> when they don't have any money kids. when they don't have any money <laughs> that's right <laughs> um and i i think that was his experiment but even so, you know, he talked about, I think he talks about how it's uh, affected him his whole life. You know, it, it mm-hmm. has beneficial effects even when they moved out on their own. So, yeah, I think Christians need to kind of be creative about pushing back against the individualistic um, model that we just sort of catch without thinking from our broader culture and recognize that that's not the only way to live and maybe it's not the most healthy way to live. So it's interesting to me, um, this this observation in the piece that um, basically, quote, American co-housing inhabitants are wealthy, white and progressive, but it doesn't need to be this way. There's no reason why a co-housing community couldn't have a conservative rather than a progressive statement of values um, or just a collection of right leaning family and friends who have some basic goals they want to share in common. Um, although just let me say this, Jeff, if a group of conservatives went off and did this it would be considered cultish. It's true. <laughs> but it might still be healthy. No, it might totally be healthy. Yeah. Isn't there like a yeah. town in Kansas that's like experimenting with this? That's true. That's right. Yeah. See, I don't I don't just make stuff up. I do pull these threads out from um yeah. I will Good. find that do, do we know? I, can you think of the name of that town off the top of your head? Kansas Town. No, it's Catholic right. and I cannot think of the oh, Catholic. I've read I'm about it. Type but... that in. But, All right. Uh, uh, yes, it's called the the Christian Withdrawal Experiment. See, that's what the Atlantic calls it, the Christian Withdrawal Experiment. Instead of calling it, ooh, here's a little positive experiment of co-housing. Okay, right. so I'm going to dig around a little bit more on this because I do think there's probably some people experimenting with this out there um, that we don't know about and we should find out more. This is, yeah. I think this is probably going on in places. Hey, if you're listening right now, and you have sort of an ongoing experiment with what we'll call as co-housing. Um, you live in intentional community with other people. Um, you know, maybe it's a farming community. Maybe it is in a city where you, you know, you've all committed to sort of live on the same city block. And you, um, and you get together. Maybe you share meals. Maybe you share some expenses. Um, talk with us about this. We, I'd like to know. So I want to know more. Um, you can text me, 877-933-2484, or you can always email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Let's talk about um, who's afraid of the still small voice. Um, this is a case for um, faithful presence in schools. Tell, tell us about this. Yeah, I mean, I think um, obviously schooling, public schooling, charter schooling, homeschooling, classical schooling, right? there's a lot of uh, movement and angst around how we raise our children these days and kind of balancing the tension of uh, wanting to be involved in our communities, being salt and light, also wanting to uh, to have you know, our children formed in um, godly community, godly truth. And I think Cassandra 
Nelson does a nice job in this piece of sort of thinking through the different tensions and um, trying to honor all those goods that are oftentimes seem impossible to hold together and sort of reflecting on different possibilities and different contexts for, yeah, being faithfully present in uh, the communities that we find ourselves. So this isn't just showing up at a school board meeting and railing. This is right. um, about investing ourselves. Can you just give maybe a couple of concrete examples of what it looks like to positively yeah, be yeah, faithfully yeah. present in school? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, all the public, all the, the more flashy ones involve like protesting or going to a school, as you say, going to a school board meeting and being angry about something. But there are there are so many opportunities to uh, volunteer in schools, to tutor kids, to uh, read stories. You know, teachers love it when parents or community members get involved and maybe, you know, it doesn't show up on the social media culture war uh, feed. But that's the kind of ongoing uh, mentoring that really makes a difference long term in in the lives of young people when they see other adults who don't have to be there who take the time to care for them. Uh, the walk-off paragraph in this piece is uh, is strong. We cannot make a heaven on earth, political theorist and cultural critic Russell Kirk once said, though we may make a hell of it. Uh, recent years have certainly shown how capable we are of manufacturing hell on earth, redemption and restoration, when and where it comes through our cooperation with grace um, will only ever come as a gift. When we talk yeah. about praying um, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what came to mind as I read this. And I thought to myself, um, a practical application of that that prayer lived out, worked out in my life. Like, I'm not just waiting around for God to um, make things on earth more like they are in heaven. He's actually commissioned me to go and do that. Like, I'm a co-missionary with Christ. So every step I take, every decision that I make, every word that I speak, um, every dollar that I give ought to be given and spoken and and stepped out in the direction of kingdom advancement. And so... You know, what What does it look like to practically bring the the values of heaven to bear on the earth? And then how could I do that in my local school? Like, right, that's that's what we're talking about here. Very, very Absolutely. practical application. Yeah. Yep. And that's going to look different in each community, but it takes uh, the body of Christ uh, trying to actually live out the prayer that we pray every week in church. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, Jeff, um, happy travels to Madison. Um, remind us again what you're up to this weekend. Yeah, we have our uh, Front Porch Republic annual conference in Madison this year. Paul Kingsnorth is uh, the keynote, and we're discussing what it means to live as humans uh, in an age that seems dominated and shaped by machines. So it should be should be a good couple days of discussions. All right. We, we look forward to, um, to you telling us uh, all about it the next time we get together. Sounds good. All right. I love that. I love that. All right. Uh, that is Jeff Bilbro. You can find information about Front Porch Republic, their 2023 conference, all the things that we talked about today at frontporchrepublic.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. So um, what in the world is going on in the world? I know that some of you are um, wondering right now, like, what's the latest uh, Israel-Gaza 
So the the tragedy of yesterday um, was an explosion at a hospital in Gaza, and uh, in Gaza City, and um, there's there's finger pointing, there's blame, there's anger, um, and in the midst of all of that, the president of the United States has arrived uh, in Israel, and so. Um, accusations are flying back and forth. Um, hundreds of people have died. Obviously, the hospital um, has been rendered, um, you know, it, it, unusable. Um, and so one, one of the places that people were fleeing to for help is now um, n- no longer available. Um, whose fault is that? Who's, uh, whose responsibility is the blast? Let me just let me just focus on this for just a moment. Many of the hospitals in Gaza City are Christian, and this was the Baptist hospital. And so it is a place where people had been sheltering, um, and it is obviously a place where hurting and broken people were getting care. Um, The bombing of a hospital um, is horrendous in any place, in any moment in time, under any circumstance. And so um, this is this is grievous, and um, you can't. We may never know. I mean, right? Just you just may never know how this happened in this particular place, um, and it's it's just ultimately comes down to you know who do you who do you believe? But does does that matter in this moment? Or does the concern for um, precious human lives matter in the moment? And the ground uh, invasion has not yet begun. Um, We're still anticipating that that is going to happen. I can almost assure you that is not going to happen um, while the president of the United States is in Tel Aviv or uh, or in the region at all. Um, President Biden um, is going to have a uh, high security wartime meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, um, and um, uh, and the President of the United States is certainly um, directing responsibility for this horrific um, bombing of this hospital. He's squarely placing it on uh, on Hamas's shoulders in terms of responsibility. Um, the Palestinian Health Ministry is saying that many hospitals in Gaza are in, quote, actual collapse. Um, so we're talking about uh, a, a small strip of land where nearly two million people live um, and where there are a total of nine hospitals. Six of those hospitals are in the direct um, conflict zone where Israel has uh, told people to evacuate. So there's only three hospitals in the southern end of um, of Gaza, one of them and uh, all the way down on the extreme um, southern border with Egypt. And so um, we just, this is a prayers ascending moment. This is a prayers ascending moment. Um, and uh, you can understand why people would be um, angry and why the explosion of this hospital would um, spark new waves of anger um, as people really don't have anywhere to go that is particularly safe. The Rafa border crossing 
um, continues to be closed. And um, there are hundreds of trucks lined up on the Egyptian side of the border. Um, and those trucks have humanitarian relief for the people of Gaza. Um, but uh, in the same way that the Rafah crossing is not open in order for people to pass from Gaza into Egypt, it's also not open in terms of humanitarian aid flowing um, across the border from Egypt into Gaza. So prayers ascending. We'll talk a little bit more about what in the world is going on in the world in just a moment as we bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. So um, normally Ruth Kramer joins us now. Um, and so we're actually going to draw our headlines from the missionnews.org website. So you won't miss out on catching up on what is happening around the world and uh, knowing how to pray the news. And so this is my uh, this is my effort to keep us mindful of what our Christian brothers and sisters around the world are um, experiencing how our Christian brothers and sisters are engaging on the front lines um, of of need, um, and and also provide us a window of opportunity not only in how to pray for people around the world, but how to support ministries on the ground. So, um, so here is a, a headline at missionnews.org: Six hundred thousand flee as Israel Gaza war escalates. These are probably headlines that you are somewhat familiar with. Um, uh, so there was a period of time um, on Sunday um, that Egypt did open the border crossing, um, according to this reporting. Um, that is not what we're seeing now. And so um, not exactly sure what happened um, in relationship to this. But I know that Egypt has grave concerns about a mass inflow of people. I also know that there is great hope that the um, people who have dual citizenship, so there are lots of Americans who live in Gaza um, and an effort by the state, the U.S. State Department to have those people and other foreign nationals in Gaza, have those people have the opportunity to pass into Egypt. That would not include um people who live in Gaza um, and are Palestinian. And so that is an ongoing conversation. You will remember that Israel has urged the residents of Gaza to evacuate. um, And um, more than half a million Palestinians heeded that warning. Um, uh, There there are poor weather conditions. If you watch live reporting from the region, you'll, you'll from time to time, you know, see terrible thunderstorms. And um, you can only imagine uh, what, how desperate the situation is for people who left their homes with literally only that which they could carry. Um, and, you know, I, there are, sometimes I just put my, my head in my hands when I'm thinking about the, um, the devast the human devastation <clears throat> in the wake of what is going on. And so, um, help world mission is an organization that, um, uh, is is on the ground and working, um, and they are um, lifting, uh, asking people to lift up the people on um, 
in what is a human train of despair. Yeah. On the northern side of Israel, we have Lebanon. And uh, so Israel is not, cannot just be exclusively focused on what is going on um, in the direction of Gaza, which is, remember, geographically uh, in the extreme southwestern portion of Israel, uh, and it shares a border with Egypt. So it's on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, and the southern border of the Gaza Strip is, is, a, is a shared border with Egypt. So that's where we're talking about when we're talking about where um, these 2 million people, 2.2 million people, are in a piece of land that is one of the most densely populated places on earth where they have been told to evacuate and where there is um, round-the-clock shelling in the northern part. Um, And again, where most of the hospitals exist, there's a half a million people sheltering in United Nations facilities, schools and, and hospitals and other buildings. Um, so they did not evacuate. Uh, and when, if and when, I'll say it's an if and when, if and when Israel actually does begin a ground offensive where they go in, um, you know, we're going to be talking about the kind of urban warfare that we have not seen except in places like Fallujah. Um, and so we would need to prepare ourselves and the Israeli people would need to prepare themselves um, for tremendous loss of life among um, the Israeli army uh, if, if and when they actually do um, enter into a ground offensive. And I say if because, you know, until it happens, it hasn't happened. And we can hold out hope that maybe some Maybe maybe people would come uh, miraculously to their senses and Hamas would agree to release the 200 or more hostages um, and lay down their arms. Uh, we could hold out that hope. It's not likely to happen, but we can hold out the hope, right? So we're going to pray for peace. We're going to ask the Lord for mercy and wisdom um, and for human needs to be met and for the innocent to be protected in the midst of all of it. Uh, So Hezbollah, so we've been talking about Hamas, that's in Gaza. Uh, Hezbollah is the terrorist organization in Lebanon, also supported by Iran. So Hamas and Hezbollah um, in this particular conversation, both funded by the Islamic Republic in, in Iran. Iran also funds terror groups like the Houthis in Yemen, Um, And so Iran continues to be the number one sponsor of terror and terrorist organizations in the world. And so you have to keep them in mind in the background of all of these conversations. And we're going to pivot to Iran here in just a moment and talk about the collateral damage um, there in, in the midst of all that is going on in the rest of the world. But let's focus on Lebanon for just a moment. If you've ever been to Israel and you've been to the Golan Heights, you have been looking across um, the Israeli border into Lebanon. That's what you're looking at when you're um, when you're in the northern part of Israel. You're looking over into Lebanon. We have had lots of conversations with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about what's going on in Lebanon. We talk with uh, we talk with representatives from Heart for Lebanon. We've talked about Beirut. We've talked about the 
collapse of the economy. We've talked about the desperation of the people. We've talked about um, the incredible number of refugees who live in Lebanon. It is uh, it is a country that is host to an extraordinary number of refugees from conflicts in the region. And so, uh, particularly from Syria. And so, um, terrorism is deeply rooted um, in Lebanon, and, and Hezbollah is the uh, Islamic terror organization that functions freely in, uh, in Lebanon. Uh, and so here we have um, Nuna. Nuna is a representative from Triumphant Mercy, Mercy Lebanon, which is a ministry active in, uh, in the country. And she says Hezbollah decided this is a good time to launch rockets against Israel. And now you have the Israeli army at the northern border um, shelling the southern part of Lebanon. And so right now it is skirmishy is the way I will describe it. Um, Israel has ordered the evacuation um, of communities in northern Israel um, in anticipation of needing to fight a war on a second front. Um, Iran has said that if Israel engages fully both in Gaza and then um, and then Hezbollah uh, advances from the north, um, Iran has said um, that it's it will be a great, a quote unquote, great earthquake for uh, the the people of Zion, which is their reference to Israel because they don't acknowledge that Israel exists. So they call it Zion and they call the people the Zionists. So all of that is going on um, while people in Iran continue to to suffer. So this is also reporting at missionnews.org. Um, Iranians are collateral, collateral damage of the Iran-Hamas partnership. Uh, and so here's the lead. If Israel continues its offensive on Hamas in Gaza, Iran's foreign minister um, is threatening a, quote, expansion of war fronts. Um, and those comments came in a meeting with Qatar with the uh, Hamas leader, Ishmael Hanya. And so this partnership between uh, Iran and Hamas and Iran and Hezbollah um, is of rising concern. Um, and so um, Heart for Iran um, is, is concerned, um, obviously, for the people in Iran and the way that the people of Iran then become collateral damage in all of this. Because those of us in the rest of the world restrict Iran's ability to freely trade um, because of the way it funds terrorism. But obviously, the people um, in Iran are the ones who ultimately you know, pay the personal price for all of that. So we also know that God is fanning the flame of revival and that um, people are coming to Jesus. And so we want to talk about um the way that God is speaking to people in dreams and the way that uh, Muslims are coming to Christ. And we're going to talk about the efforts of Christian ministries in the region and why it is, um, you know, continues to be important for Christians to take the gospel to dangerous places because God is calling people um, to himself in Jesus Christ. So we'll talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together. And have you ever read the book of Matthew? You know, at the very beginning when it has the whole genealogy of Jesus and read or tried to read through those difficult names and thought, who are these people? What What are their stories? You know, why are they listed here? 
In our next reading plan, we're going to be looking at five of the women in Jesus's genealogy. It's called Unexpected, Five Women in the Lineage of Jesus. We're going to take a look at Tamar. Who was she? You know, what, what is her story? We're going to look at Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary, Jesus's mother. All the women who you're going to hear on the podcast have contributed to the study guide. You can get your hands on that study guide at myfaithradio.com and sign up. I sure hope that you'll do this study with us so that the next time you go and read Jesus's genealogy, you'll recognize some of those names and know some of those stories. You can get that study guide at myfaithradio.com, and you can listen to Reading the Bible Together podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, good morning again. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. We are surveying what in the world is going on in the world and bringing the mind of Christ to bear. And so Jessica's on the text line and she says, hey, thanks, you know, for this uh, this update on what's happening um, around the world. Quote, it's hard to get news right now. My 20s and 30s something girls in Bible study are very undereducated on things of the world, but they can tell you everything about pop culture. All right. So, Jessica, here is the pop culture connection um, to to what's going on um, in Israel and in relationship to the opening war front with Gaza or in Gaza. Taylor Swift. I know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Drop drop your jaw because I got a pop culture connection here for you to what's going on um, with with war in Israel and Taylor Swift. I know. I, I this is I, I can make this connection for you. Taylor Swift's personal bodyguard um, is Israeli, and he has been called up. So. Her personal bodyguard has now left a half a million dollar a year job protecting her, and he is now on the front lines. He, the The group that he serves with is a very elite fighting force, um, and so no doubt he is maybe already um, part of those forward um, advance units that are working to find the hostages who are in those tunnels somewhere uh, under Gaza City. So there you go. There's the pop culture connection for you to what is happening um, in the in the world right now. So maybe your 20s and 30s girls in Bible study would be uh, interested in that particular storyline, and from there, um, you can you can lead them into a larger conversation about w- what is happening and why it's happening and who's involved. And maybe you could listen to yesterday's conversation that we had here about how Israel plays into uh, the end times conversation. The end times. Uh, revelations that God has made uh, in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Maybe that would be a, 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 an interesting Bible study for you. Um, all right, so also drawing here from missionnews.org, uh, here's the headline, Christians need help taking the gospel to dangerous places. So here's the here's the lead. Along with war, the Middle East is full of persecution, and at the same time, the region holds so much potential for the gospel. Uh, and so Brian Dennett um, of AMG International uh, says, as many um, of your listeners and readers would recognize, there are many lost people in the Middle East who desperately need the gospel. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, how the fresh wind of the Spirit, how revival is actually 
uh, happening. Uh, People of Muslim background are coming to Christ in record numbers. I mean, we have talked about the fact that Iran is one of the places in the world where the church is growing um, the fastest. And so, but every person who comes to Christ does so at risk not only of all of their familial relationships and their standing in community and sometimes their jobs, but risk of life um, because it is not seen as appropriate to convert from Islam to Christianity. And so missionaries um, risk their lives every day to spread the love of Christ in places where Jesus is not welcome, where Jesus is openly rejected. And so we want to be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters um, in all of the places that we lift up, in all of the communities that we lift up, in communities where Hezbollah and Hamas are, you know, the the, the dominant force of the day, we want to be lifting up Christians and we want to be lifting up um, these days and these times and ask God to send a fresh wind of his spirit to keep our brothers and sisters um, safe, to preserve them in places and spaces where God wants the gospel light to be shed, which tends to be the darkest places on earth. And so I'm trusting right now that God has Christians in those tunnels under Gaza City. I'm, tr- I'm trusting that God has a witness down there, probably more than one. And so let's be praying today for Christians, people who know the truth, who, although they are um, held right now as hostages and captives, they are free in Christ. Let's be praying that God would use them to bear positive witness to the reality of Jesus. Let's lift that up in relationship to the Christians um, who are still in Gaza and to the Christians who are um, on the road with others making their way south in Gaza. Let's be lifting up Christians who are in hospitals and in schools and in ministries, um, in all of the places whose, you know, whose names we have talked about in Lebanon, in Iran, in Israel, in Syria, um, in, in Egypt. Let's be asking that God would get his glory and that the gospel would find its witness in the midst of all of this. I know no other appropriate prayer um, to be praying than one right now for God to get his glory in the midst of what is absolutely heartbreaking and devastating human carnage. So let's pray. Father, you know. We just acknowledge that our grasp of what is happening um, feels like trying to hold on to water. And so we would ask that you would send a fresh wind of your spirit, that you would protect and guide and fill and use Christians who are in position right now, right now, to shine the light of the love, your love revealed in Christ in the darkest of places, in tunnels under Gaza City, 
in bunkers across Israel. In caves in southern Lebanon. At the border between, e- between Egypt and Gaza at the Rafah Gate. Amidst the million people seeking to hide as bombs rain down. Holy God, get yourself a witness. We don't pretend to know exactly who or how that's going to happen, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In Jesus' name we pray. In Esau's name we pray. In Yeshua's name we pray. To the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Amen. All right, my friends, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Next, we're going to talk with our friend Bill English and do a little light. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.